From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 125. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello, bloke on Trent. Like on Trent. Whatever that means. Um, and uh, hello, Perry. Hello. How's, uh, how's, how's Hong Kong at this moment? It's rainy. We have had a... Uh... Uh, there's a there's a thunderstorm or some kind of storm making its way up to Taiwan, and we're getting the tail end of that. So I've been inside avoiding the rain. Oh, and I suspect we're going to hear a lot more about Hong Kong today, and that's not because of you, but you, because of the guest we have with us. So I'm going to hand over to you, Perry, and you can take it from there. Yeah, uh, I'm very happy. Uh, we're all very happy to welcome friend of the podcast, uh, my good friend, and fellow film photography enthusiast, uh, darkroom nerd, and lens gas sufferer, uh, Mike Epstein, uh, who is also here in Hong Kong with me. Hello, Mike. Hey, Perry. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. So uh, thanks for being on. Um, What we would normally do at this point is, uh, I actually realize that I don't know the answer to this either. So let's start with just having you tell us a bit about your background and your kind of photographic journey and and how you got to sort of where you are today photographically yeah yeah all right well i'll, I'll keep it brief but uh you know i started off uh, with a olympus xa in high school uh, which feels like about 100 years ago now and uh that came along on all my hiking trips and stuff with the school and uh, eventually that camera packs up and uh i had no money for a long time so photography sort of disappeared out of my life for several years and uh, I got a job uh, in mainland China and I thought well I can't travel halfway across the world from home I'm from Johannesburg South Africa for a little bit of background and I can't travel halfway around the world and not have a camera to just you know to have pictures to record my time there so Got a digital uh, Canon PowerShot A540, and uh, that was my camera for a good year and a half. And followed the normal sort of path with digital SLRs. I had a, a Nikon D80, which uh, I shot for a long time, and uh, that stayed with me, uh, working in various parts of the world. Um, and eventually got uh, destroyed in a car accident and got replaced with another Nikon and a Fuji X100S and uh, that camera was pretty transformative for me Uh, you know it took photography from being an occasional pastime to being kind of a lifestyle it just was always with me and the, the natural progression from that was getting back into film cameras uh, and that was like unleashing a beast. I, I've just been exploring just about every kind of film camera I can think of for the last four or five years. And uh, yeah, that led to printing in the darkroom and the last sort of four or five years also developing my own black and white stuff and exploring genres of photography that uh, years ago I probably would never have considered. Uh, so yeah, that's... That's where I'm at now. Yeah. So did you start shooting film again only after you came to Hong Kong? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I was living in places like Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo, which, uh, as you might imagine, they're a bit shy on film labs in those places. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, digital was really the only uh, practical solution there. Um, yeah, and I uh, got back into film when I came here and uh, yeah, I've been shooting more film than digital ever since. So, so this this enormous horde of uh, film cameras and lenses you've got, all of that was accumulated essentially after you came back to Hong Kong too? Yeah, yeah, uh, the large majority of it. Um, uh, yeah, basically all the film stuff. I, I didn't have any film cameras for, for years and uh, I just sort of... Yeah, I just climbed in in a big way about five years ago and just been crazy with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Hong Kong has a way of doing that to you. Um, I mean, it certainly did it to me. But, I mean, you've gone, you know, from, I mean, you got 35-millimeter rangefinders. You've been around the world with uh, medium-format TLRs and Hasselblads. And you even shoot large format with Intrepid, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I don't shoot the Intrepid too much. I actually... I bought the Intrepid because uh, I got wind of the idea of uh, making an enlarger back for it uh, that fits on the graph lock back. That was actually the original reason I bought that Intrepid. And uh, I think I've printed it uh, some total of twice. And I've shot shot with it probably, uh, you know, maybe half a dozen times. Um, yeah, it's good fun, but it's, it's not something that uh, I shoot very often. So, so what, what, um, I know, you know, when we first met, we were out doing street photography and I think most of our time spent together has either been buying lenses or, uh, <laughs> or, or doing street photography, but, but your own sort of photographic, uh, I guess emphasis is seems to be, I mean, when we chat, it seems like you're really more focused on like abstract and landscape and architectural stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, I shoot quite a lot of street photography just because I, I like to always be busy with with the camera. Um, and a lot of the places that I find myself in lend itself to street photography quite well. So I do still shoot a lot of street, but I wouldn't say it's my first passion in photography. You know, I do like uh, abstract pictures. I like very unusual pictures uh, anything that i look at and i think well you know that's that's graphically quite different to anything i've seen before that that really interests me um yeah, yeah. I, I think i think the my first encounter with your abstract work was when you showed me something that i don't think i've seen anyone else do um you were going around with a film camera and a, a kaleidoscope and yeah. like sticking the kaleidoscope in front of the lens <laughs> And, yeah. <laughs> and shooting with that. And it really struck me because we were having that conversation. The, the thing you said to me, apart from, you know, the fact that the pictures look really cool. Um, I remember you telling me the thing that one of the things that appealed to you was that the no two images can ever be the same. Like it's literally impossible to replicate yeah. uh, shooting through a kaleidoscope. Yeah, just the nature of the kaleidoscope, you know, just the small movements of the kaleidoscope completely changes the picture. Uh, it's really, really hard to replicate one frame to the next. Um, even if you're doing it with digital, which I've done a few times, it, it, you know, every every frame's a bit different. Um, 
Yeah, the, the kaleidoscope was um, uh, sort of uh, the idea of that spawned from um, a theme. I belong to the Cathay Camera Club, which is, you know, an English-speaking camera club here in Hong Kong. They have monthly themes. And one of the themes was reflections, and I, I just I couldn't bring myself to shoot another cliche reflection of buildings on the water or something like that. So I wanted something that looked totally different. Um, and I, it was also inspired by uh, not a photographer, but an artist that I, I've always had an interest in, M.C. Escher. He makes these sort of paintings where very geometric images, you know, with staircases going inverted up the corners of of a frame and, you know, uh, I guess shooting through a kaleidoscope was the closest that I could get to that. So when um, when you've got all of your images, you, you spend a fair amount of time uh, printing in the darkroom as well, right? How often How often are you in the darkroom these days? Yeah, I, uh, I probably go to the darkroom uh, two to three times a month um, at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, especially at the moment, I've got a lot of time on my hands, so I'm going quite often. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I, the darkroom and photography for me are just very enjoyable ways to pass time you know if I get a good picture when I'm out shooting or whether I manage to print something that's really worthwhile keeping is a bonus uh, the time spent just practicing those things uh, is probably more valuable to me than than anything else yeah I mean you and I have spent some time in the darkroom together and you know th there have been times where you spent an entire day in there trying to get one print making like nine or ten different versions of it. But I, I remember you um, talking about how, you know, printing in the darkroom makes you, like, shoot differently and think differently about your negatives as well. Yeah. You know, typically what we do is just a lot of people just scan or digitize them. Um, but you actually, like, you know, I, I guess this is how film photography is supposed to be. But, I mean, I give the impression that you shoot differently and you think differently about you know, the tones that you're looking for and what kind of images will print well in the darkroom uh, versus other images that you might be making just to scan? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I have become a lot more selective about how I shoot, regardless of whether it's a 35mm or medium format or whatever. You know, if I look at a scene and I just don't think it'll print well, I often won't take the picture and... Uh, you know, sometimes I'll sit with one roll of film in the camera for two weeks because I just haven't seen anything that I really think will print well. And sometimes I just get fed up and say, oh, I'll just take the damn picture and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, sometimes those are the ones that surprise you. They come out a lot better than, than you imagined. Mike, Mike, I just want to just go back to what you are saying about uh, kaleidoscopes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so I... I, I I don't think I quite caught what was being said there. Are you literally taking the view of a, that you see through a, a kaleidoscope, or are you actually taking a photograph through a kaleidoscope? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm taking a photograph through a kaleidoscope. It's actually uh, just a, a homemade kaleidoscope. I had a workshop cut three mirrors for me, and then I uh, strapped them together facing inwards. Um, I just made them big enough so that I could fit a lens inside it. 
and uh, yeah, uh, then just basically point the whole contraption that's uh, generally very geometric scenes. Yeah, because I mean, no, normally when you th- well when you think of a kaleidoscope, generally you think about something with like coloured beads in it with a something yeah, that yeah, rot- rotates right, yeah. and you get all wonderful uh, coloured shapes and and, th- and things like that. So yeah. I take it you, you don't have any beads in yours. It's just it's, no, just, it's no. just open at one end. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah, a, yeah. Is there is there anywhere you can? I know this is if you're listening in the car, it's going to be no use to you at all. But you know, those of us who are listening on a computer, um, is is there anywhere where you can direct us to uh, take a look at these shots? Because um, I've been on your 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 Instagram account, and, uh, and I can't I can't find anything. So uh, yeah, I, I for a long time I was pretty bad with my Instagram. I didn't say it for ages. <laughs> What's going on over there, Perry? uh, yeah uh simon to answer your question uh, actually uh, i've been making a website with a friend of mine you can uh, see some of the pictures there it's uh framefocusphoto.com and then if you click on photographers and analog mic you'll see an abstract gallery and you can see some of them in there sorry frame frame focus Frame focus photo, uh, photo with an F, F O T O. Okay. Yeah. And that's all one word, is it? Yeah, yeah, all one word. Yeah, okay. uh, I'll I'll send you the link in a message yeah. if you like. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get out just for. I mean, people have heard that on the uh, on the podcast as well, so hopefully they can be able to follow that, uh, follow along with that. Okay, so we've got frame focus yeah. photo, with an F, and uh, so we go into which which section? Photographers is that, and then you got analog mic and digital len yeah that's the one analog mic yeah that's yeah. me yeah and ah abstracts yeah that's the one yep. yeah oh they are cool they're really cool listeners they're very very cool um and uh, the, the one of the first ones you, you see on there it's almost as if like it is uh, at first glance it could be something with with beads in it or, or little sticks or something but it's actually like pens i think um and, yeah, uh, chopsticks. Yeah, <laughs> ex- exactly. Um, now, but, Mike, which end do you put the beads in? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just watching Perry's dying. I just, <laughs> I, I, I had no idea why that was so funny, and now it's the, 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 it's now. Perry, Perry's literally dying. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's Simon's serious British accent asking, like, which end has the beads in it? <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> Me and Perry have been dying for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, all right. So in all seriousness, apart from the the stealth anal beads reference, um, <laughs> we, we, we actually had – this is – I had never seen one before, but we – at Central Camera – we had for the longest time in the window a kaleidoscope that someone had uh, made that had a like a fifty-two millimeter filter thread on the oh, wow. yeah on oh, the back end. So you could you could just like literally screw it onto the front of any lens. It was the craziest thing. It was super cool. Oh, that's very cool. That's very high end. Mine's uh, just uh, held together with gaffer tape and cardboard, but uh... <laughs> it totally works too. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, awesome. we're, we're hoping not to set the guys off again, but how how long is it? 
yeah. <laughs> it's about 20 centimeters. It's, right. it's 20 good centimeters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm treading on eggs now. Um, but, you know, is, is there a, is there a, when you came up with this, is, was there something you were following uh, that somebody's done something or did, this, or did you just uh, have some mirrors uh, lying around and, uh, and you just did something with them? I'm just wondering, is, is, there, is there an optimum length for one of these things? Um, or did you just make it up as you went along and it worked? Yeah, I just made it up uh, as I went along and, uh, and it worked out all right. Uh, actually, the idea really uh, struck me. I was at a uh, science museum here in Hong Kong and they, they had sort of you know, one of these kaleidoscope type things where you can run to one end and your friend looks at you from the yes. other end and you take weird selfies through it. I've totally uh, done that. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, and so I thought, well, that's, that's pretty pretty cool, and uh, I had this theme to shoot anyway. So uh, yeah, that that was kind of the inspiration for that. Yeah, and is it is it effectively fixed? And then you you turn the camera to the angle that you want it to go to, or or will it actually ro sophisticated enough to rotate? Well, uh, I literally just hold it in my hand, and uh, I just sort of turn it around until I, I see something interesting and then the, you know they'll take the picture um yeah uh but you know it's it's a two hand <laughs> it's a two-hand job <laughs> so um and and the, the the do you do you pick certain lenses do certain lenses work better with it than others or does it yeah yeah uh, a 50 millimeter lens works pretty well that's um uh and a 28 actually um a 50 millimeter lens wide open basically you get this seamless blending of reflections with whatever the camera's pointing at uh so um it's a bit more surreal with a 28 millimeter the you know the depth of field is a bit better and everything's a bit sharper so you you get more defined reflections um in the image no it's very 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 effective very effective so uh no i really like those yeah um so simon uh sorry are we done are we are we, are we going to yeah, let's, are we still on beans and kaleidoscopes? Yeah, we, we, we shall move swiftly on there. Okay, I know. I okay. I, I just want. I wanted to ask Simon: Do you shoot differently for um for the darkroom as well? Because uh, I, I don't spend no. a lot of time. No, no, I don't. I'm. It, it's that's, and and the sim the simple reason is my experience in the darkroom is quite weak. Um, so you know, I can I can do things with a. A, a scanned piece of film and make it look it the way that I want it to do, uh, want it to look. But really, um, I'm just happy with something that looks like a photograph uh, in the darkroom at the moment. I'm just way, way behind where where I want to be, and and let's face it, COVID has completely done me over this year uh, because the the six times darkroom, uh, would, you know, which we meet once a week at, um, it's been closed since March. Right. Uh, so I've had no darkroom access at all. Um, so hopefully that's going to come to an end soon. But I'd, darkroom time is the best time. It's just amazing. Um, yeah. Just yeah, and it just the time just disappears, and it's always pleasurable. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I really miss absolutely. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to add to what uh, Perry's talking about, just you know, when I shoot in the dark, um, 
where I shoot images at now, I'm going to be printing the darkroom. It, it, obviously, one side of that is exposure, but it's also framing. Um, I, I like to print an 8x10. I just think it's it's sort of like the perfect size image. You know, it's, it's, it's big enough that you can still hold it and enjoy it, you know, as a handheld print. Um, but it's not too small where all the detail gets lost. Uh, I don't print very big very often, but the one uh, issue that 8x10 does present is, uh, you know, the aspect ratio is quite different to 35mm. So when I'm looking through the frame, uh, you know, I'm sort of trying to imagine how much of the sides of the frame won't actually end up being printed on the paper, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, you, you you can uh, obviously print the whole frame on the 8x10 if you want to, um, but it's not, not uh, the way I tend to print. Yeah, that's, the, that's obviously one of the big advantages of shooting large format, whether it be 4x5 or 8x10, of course, but uh, 4x5 yeah, fits yeah. perfectly on there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, one one of the things I think I learned from you, Mike, in our time in the darkroom was um, like evaluating negatives for the print, because you know when you're when you're scanning or digitizing a negative, it can be you know fairly thin and it'll still look fine. Um, yeah. But the you know when I when I used to do darkroom stuff in university, it was like what's what Simon is talking about. Just if, if I have a picture, I'm happy. Um, but noticing, for example, like, especially XP2 negatives being a little kind of particularly difficult to work with because they're sort of, you know, they're C41, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that took me a really long time to get my head around and looking at a print and get it, or sorry, a negative rather, and getting an idea whether it's going to go well, uh, or not. And, uh, Sometimes you just be happy with the scan rather than a, a darkroom print, and sometimes uh, you persist with it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you get used to looking at a negative and realizing that there's a good range of contrast and it'll print well. And other times you look at it and just say, "This is going to be way too much work." <laughs> yeah, and you you got um you've got this. Mike has this sweet uh like easel thing that you, you picked up on your travels from a shop in LA, right? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's a universal easel. It's, uh, eight by 10 on one side and then you can flip it over and it's got five by seven and four by six. And uh, I don't remember the other size, maybe three and a half by five or something really small, but yeah, it's a, it's a very cool easel. It makes, um, you know, um, framing very easy. Uh, so yes it's pretty cool uh, freestyle photos just uh, it's an awesome awesome place if you ever go to LA it's it's worth visiting you can order everything online from them but uh, yeah it's pretty cool to go there freestyle photo is what it's called yeah yeah freestyle photo .biz, that's their website yeah so so um, Johnny Simon Mike and I go to the same dark room in Hong Kong which is uh, run by this lovely man named Keeping Lee, um, who used to he used to be what head of quality control for Kodak in was it Southeast Asia or just Hong Kong? Yeah, for Southeast Asia. Yeah, I mean he's he's sort of a legend in the 
film photography and printing circles here, I guess. Yeah, everybody seems to know him. And, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's been printing in the darkroom for, I think, 40 years now. <laughs> the thing I love most about his darkroom is everything is set up. Um, you can tell a lot of it is just, like, handmade by him. Yeah. yeah uh, so for an, an, anyone thinking about, you know, setting up your own darkroom, what, what I learned from him is, like, you can get by with, for example, like red cellophane over a normal light bulb as a as a darkroom light. It's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, he, he does test all of that. You know, um, his original darkroom was uh, much bigger. And uh, then he moved to the darkroom that you're familiar with. <laughs> and we spent hours in there just, you know, seeing if any paper would fog with his new safe lights up and uh, a couple of them he had to redo because it was fogging paper or, uh, some of them were getting too hot and yeah uh, but you're right uh, you, you can make do with with a lot all right well this is a lens podcast so let's uh let's talk about some of these lenses because you have a ridiculous number of lenses um, <laughs> for a bunch of different systems. And actually, uh, maybe a nice segue is um, a couple of months ago, you you asked me to help you like put together or, or get a setup to put a, one of your enlarging lenses on a Fuji. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which uh, turned out real real nice. Yeah, it turned out really nice. Uh, that lens is so sharp. Uh, I, I would suspected it's a rotogon n 50 millimeter 2.8 uh, uh arpo lens uh which uh, you know it sits for enlarging 35 millimeter negs but uh yeah it adapted to the fuji really well and it's uh sort of a 75 millimeter field of view and 35 millimeter equivalent so uh, I, I yeah i know i know that when it comes to lenses you know aside from that adaptation thing um, you don't do as much of the like crazy adaptations that some of us do. You're really a systems guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you've got a lot right. of systems. Yeah, I, I, you know, I came to classic lenses in pursuit of the perfect system and ended up becoming a, a bit of a classic lenses nerd, I guess you could say, in the process, uh, which which wasn't the plan, but I, I enjoy it anyway. Uh, yeah, so I mean. Uh, for the longest time, the system that I was really dedicated to was the Pentax K-mount, just because there's, uh, you know, I picked up a K1000 and it worked so well, and there's such an abundance of K-mount lenses out there. I thought, well, you know, what else do I need? And uh, then I realized that when I'm traveling, I wanted to be able to shoot uh, both digital and film. And so, uh, you know, I started branching out from Pentax lenses in the hope of finding a system that would give me the same field of view and a similar kind of look, uh, regardless of whether I was shooting digital or film. Um, when, when I say the same sort of look, I'm talking more along the lines of perspective and, uh, you know, depth of field. Obviously, the, the rendering in digital and film are worlds apart at least in my opinion uh yeah so i started exploring all different uh setups that i guess that eventually uh inevitably led uh to like m mount which uh is probably the be best option you know for having that 
kind of commonality where you could shoot a digital or film body and have everything look very very similar so what are what are some of your go-to lenses on the uh, pentax k system because we don't talk about we don't talk about pentax k system lenses that much i mean m42 yes. yeah yeah well uh i uh, i shoot 50 millimeter the most on every system that i have so uh, and most of the pentax lenses that i have i wouldn't say they have bags of character or anything like that they just good sharp lenses uh, that give you a reliable picture pretty much every time uh, which is all I wanted at that stage so uh, I shoot uh, the SMC M 50mm 1.7 which is just a garden variety double gauss I guess um, and it's, it's it's very very sharp uh, so it's a great lens um, so that's probably sits on on my K-mount cameras more than anything else and then if I want to go wide I normally want to go really wide so I've got a SMCM 20mm f4 which uh, is very nice and sharp in the center but it's got a healthy amount of distortion and it's a bit soft in the corners but uh, it's a lens that's worked very well for me anyway and uh, so I've shot that a bunch. Is that the one with the drop-in filters at the back? No, so uh, the one you're thinking of, uh, it's a um, fisheye, it's a SMC Pentax 17mm, I think it's a 4.5, I've got it sitting around here somewhere, something like that, so I think it's 4.5, uh, and yeah, it's it's got a r ring uh, right on the front of the barrel where you can switch between orange and yellow and UV and skylights uh, and neutral. It might have something else in there. I can't remember anymore. Um, and that's that's a pretty cool lens as well. Actually, a good good fun to play with. But I will, I wouldn't say it's my staple. I don't use it all the time. It's probably something I use. I'm just jacking around. So I have to confess, I I have never touched a Pentax K camera, uh, and I've only seen that fisheye lens because you had it for some reason mounted to your Leica M240. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Johnny and Simon, have you guys uh, played around much with Pentax K mount lenses? Um, a little bit. Um, and there's, I mean, when you mentioned about filters going into the back of the lenses, that uh, um, I think I'm pretty sure I had a uh, a PC lens, a perspective control uh, Pentax lens for a short while. So that, that was not sure if that was a yeah. 35 or a 28. Yeah, I think it's a 28, and it, it uses the same sort of rotating ring principle on the on the barrel mm. to switch the filters. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good lens. Yeah, but, but yeah, pen, Pentax lenses, it, it's, you know, I've, I've come across huge numbers of the, of the 51.7 and the 28, 2.8. They, they seem to be really, really common lenses. Um, and, you know, 28 millimeters rarely done it for me um and i, I can't say I'm a, I'm a yeah i mean you've you've you've, you've already said it with the with the 51.7 it's a, it's a good solid sharp lens um but that's for me that's like as far as the praise goes um because that's exactly what it is and there are so many other good sharp 50 millimeter 1.7 lenses out there so it hasn't got a huge amount of character but it gets the job done and if, that, if that's what you want then that's that that's great um but yeah it's it, 
the the the, the non-standard sizes um i've not come across too many of those i mean i've, I've tried the uh, the k-mount 51.4 which is predictably a, a, a great lens um i've always wanted to have a go at the 51.2 uh, because that's, yeah. that's that's a lens that's got a great reputation um and yeah, it's it does, yeah one of the 1.2s i've never one of the 1.2 lenses i've never tried have you, you tried the 1.2 no, uh, I haven't. You know, I, I've always uh, been happy with 1.7. It's always been fast enough for, for whatever I've needed. Um, it's sharp from 1.7 onwards. And, yeah, uh, you, you're quite right, Simon. I mean, they're not lenses that have loads of character or do anything unusual. I mean, they they place the ball squarely in the photographer's court to put something interesting in front of the camera and make a picture with it. Uh, um, yeah, the the one thing that's always put me off the the Pentax lens because I think the Pentax M lenses are you know they're, they're well constructed you know and you can see how they 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 followed on from the M forty two lenses and then yeah. something something happened when they went to the PKA lenses and yeah and I think yeah. they're horrible <laughs> that's yeah about it yeah you're quite right the the A lenses uh, are more plasticky and they just don't have the same quality as an M lens or a uh, Takuma, um, you know, I think there's just a predictable yeah, but, uh, trajectory for a, a lot of lens makers. Yeah, but I, it, it just, I, I just don't know what was going on with them, though, because it just seemed like they just went, it was just so wrong. I mean, because for, for years, you know, they've been making beautiful, well-constructed lenses with with great feel. Let's put the you know, put the optics to one to one side, which are you know, good and and gem, generally good and such. But the feel of uh, Pentax lenses, I've I've always been a fan of. And then they 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 cheapened everything about the lens and just gave it some extra functionality for the uh, I assume for program functions and, and things like that and at the same time yeah. they just completely took everything that was good about the way that those lenses felt and said well you don't need it now um, just just have this so, oh and by the way it's it's better because it's lighter <laughs> you know is it yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's the feel I get anyway yeah, I, I would uh, concur with all of that. Yeah, you know, I, the A lenses, I had one and I got rid of it uh, when I sold one of my Pentax K1000s. Um, yeah, the, the M mount, uh, not M mount, but the M, uh, the Pentax M lenses are, are really the ones you want, or uh, the Takumas if, if you go in M42 route. Uh, those, those are all solid. Uh, well-constructed lenses but you know uh, Pentax uh, at some point offshored a lot of their production uh, from Japan the, they actually had a factory here in Hong Kong for a very long time uh, if you look in the bottom of some of the K1000s they'll actually say assembled in Hong Kong and then I think maybe in the late 80s they actually moved their assembly to uh, mainland China um, and that's where the last uh, the last K1000s were made. I think those they actually call the SE, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, the longer the production runs went for them, the, the lower the quality got. Yeah, I just just remembered another good, I and mean, I've mentioned this on the show before, but um, the very, very first uh, version of the K, the K mount lenses, the uh, the 28mm 3.5. Uh, that's yeah, a special that's, lens. 
It's it's a magical lens. Uh, actually, uh, I, I don't know for sure, but I think the optical design came from the uh, Super Takamar 28mm 3.5. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Well, Johnny can correct on this one, but I know that that was certainly, it was a very long running um, design, but I was I was under the impression, I could well be wrong, that it changed on that particular model. Um, Johnny, okay. I don't know if you can yeah. shed no, any I, light on that. I'm, I'm not sure. I, a lot of those, a lot of those SMC lenses though are pretty much the same as the M42 designs, I think. Yeah. So it may or may may or may not. It's it's probably similar. I'm guessing. The the reason yeah. why I think it's different, or or there's something going on there, because it, it's a, it's a big lens, whereas on the 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 Takamas, it's not a big lens, is it? Uh, well, I'm actually looking at mine now, and it's it's bigger than my uh, SMCM twenty eight two point eight, uh, and. You brought that lens up a bit earlier, that SMCM 28 2.8. That's not a very good lens, uh, at least in my experience. Uh, I don't know if I just got a bad copy or, or if it's uh, universally that way, but it's not a particularly sharp 28mm lens. The uh, other 28 that I have in Pentax is the Takuma uh, 28 3.5, and that is a good lens. That's, that's very nice and mm -hmm. very sharp. And... Uh, then yeah, I I've shot with the um, SMC twenty eight three point five K mount that you're talking about, and it is it's a superb lens. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a sleeper. I don't think it's well known either, but uh, if you get one, it's it's they fantastic. Yeah, it's it's not it's not well known, but it is one that uh, every now and again it it, it 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 shoots up in popularity, and they can go for quite quite strong money. Um, but yeah, yeah, again, yeah. If, if nobody's looking, then you can get a good deal on it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, for from Pentax to the exciting stuff. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, so let's let's talk let's talk rangefinder lenses briefly. I was just going to say you've, you've, we've got, we've we've got the, we've got the list, haven't we? That uh, okay, we've we've talked about Pentax this year. Now we can do other stuff. <laughs> Ticked it off the box. <laughs> well, you know, you you've got your you've got your system lenses uh, that you use for just you know standard sharp uh, everyday shooting with a Pentax. But I mean, for your for Leica M mount, you shoot a Zeiss Icon ZM. Then you've got yeah. your ridiculous amount of Nikon S bodies. Um, yeah. <laughs> then on, but on those mounts, like you've gone through, I mean, we've gone through this journey together, right? Like you've gone through a ridiculous number of lenses. Yeah, yeah, especially in 50 millimeters. I went through a boatload of them. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of lenses that I want to ask you about specifically. Yeah. yeah um, both on, Nik on Leica M mount and Nikon S mount. Yeah. Um, so let's start, with, let's start with Nikon S mount because there's fewer of them. Yeah. Uh you you have both the 51.4 and the 50 F2, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the SC 51.4 uh and the HC 5 cm F2. Yeah. Yeah. So so those are both sonar designs. Uh yeah. and I I have I have them in LTM, but I also have the 1.4 on Nikon S mount. Yeah. Um they they are both sonar designs, but they're very very different lenses, eh? Yeah, yeah, they are. You know, the 1.4 gets a bad reputation, and uh, it's partly rightly deserved, I can say. You know, when you shoot that lens at 1.4, it's just garbage. Uh, it, it, you know, <laughs> you have to be a special kind of person to want that look. 
but yeah, it's 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 a bizarre lens because uh, when you stop it down to f two, it just totally changes, and you know. Um, the the bokeh, I guess, if if you're into that kind of thing, the the bokeh on that lens is not particularly great. Um, but you know, I shoot stock down most of the time, so I really don't care about that too much. But but saying that the uh, five centimeter f two is a better lens. Uh, it, it's uh, just more consistent. Uh, it's not super sharp at f two, but it's not bad. Um, but then you know it doesn't have these drastic changes in its look as you stop down through through the range of apertures like the one point four does. Now the um you recently got rid of your twenty five f four uh, scope bar right for the S mount and Johnny yeah. you've got that lens yeah. Uh yes I do. Yeah, it's a you know it's it's a fantastic lens it's incredibly sharp um but uh, it doesn't uh, work that well on digital um it, it you can it's totally usable but it requires a bit of work because the color shifts mm, mm-hmm. and uh, oh wait so you have you put it on an amadeo and like stuck it on your m240 oh you're talking about the s mount version yeah did i thought you had the s mount version yeah i do yeah yeah um, i have put it on the m240 and it does uh, basically, the exact same thing as the M mount version. Uh, you know, you get you get those wild color color shifts on on. on Wait, them. but but the 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 Leica mount version doesn't couple. Um, it's a snapshot scope bar. So if you put that on the Amadeo, it it actually becomes a better lens than the Leica mount version. Then doesn't it? Because it'll couple at least, right? Yeah, it will couple. There, you know, I mean, if you've got an S mount. Body, then there's no point putting it on a film liker and it, it doesn't work that well on digital because the color shifts are that that the s mount version of that lens because I've, I've had both i've had the m mount and the s mount and uh the s mount version is a dedicated film lens uh, for me um and uh yeah it, it's really really nice um i've got it on a besser r2s and it's it's really nice on that body. Oh, I forgot that you got the Bessa R2S. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. That's a that's a recent one. So you got well, you got an S3, you have an SP, yeah. and and an R2S. Yeah, yeah. Those are the the, the S mount bodies I have. Yeah. W- would it be fair to say that the R2S is actually the best shooter out of those? Yeah, I mean, you know, the R2S is a much nicer viewfinder. It's mm. nice and clear oh, yeah, and. Uh, you know, you're only looking at one set of frame lines at a time, which is quite nice. Uh, the, uh, it's the only S-mount uh, body that I know of that that's metered. Um, so, you know, that, that's quite nice as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's really compact. Uh, it, it's, it's a very compact body. I mean, the, the Bessas are fantastic. Um, yeah. But... I mean, uh, they, they they feel a bit plasticky, but they're well built. But uh, the the one lens that you have on that mount, which I gas over the most, is uh, Mike here has the thirty five one point eight W Nikkor. Yeah, oh. that's a that's a really nice lens. Yeah, I uh, I bought that lens from uh, Vishal. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He runs Camera Film Photo here in Hong Kong. 
and uh, yeah it's it's a very very sweet lens uh, uh, yeah I haven't shot with it a lot but when I have I've thoroughly enjoyed it yeah that that lens is one that when my gas started for that lens uh, to now the price has like tripled yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they've become expensive. And, so and it popular. seems like S mount is the way to go because the LTM is absurd. Yeah, the LTM. I don't think they made them in very big numbers either. No. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that lens is something special, though. You know, even the design. If you look at the diagram, it's got this like crazy flat rear element. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's it's a you know it's, it's, it does have a bit of character when you shoot oh, yeah. it wide open it's 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 got some character for sure especially around the the, the uh, edges of the frame um but you know you stop it down a little bit and it's just incredibly sharp uh and i have the uh 2.5 version of that as well with the uh, 3.5 centimeter f2.5 and that's also a, a, an incredible lens and it's a lot cheaper um it's just as sharp as the 1.8 and it's a fraction of the price got a ton of fall off though that lens it does have a fair amount yeah yeah it does yeah yeah oh yeah. man I, I, I want i want that one yeah it's, it's, it's a sweet lens and, and then and then on the m mount side um obviously there's the zm stuff which is sweet and we've talked about a bunch but um you you've actually gone through a bunch of the new Voidlander stuff as well, like the 21, the 35, uh, yeah. the 51.5 Nocton. The, um, the 35 F2 Ultron, the new one. Yeah. Uh, we were discussing this because you were looking at it as like a Sumicron alternative because it's significantly yeah. cheaper. Yes. It, yeah. it, seems, it seems to do the job, eh? Yeah, it's very, it's very sharp. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a great lens, especially on film. It's particularly good. It works well on digital as well. Um, actually, those... Uh, two lenses, the uh, 35mm f2 Ultron and the 21 3.5 scope I bought um, because they fit well as a system, uh, you know, the same filter sizes and, and all of that. And uh, yeah, so I shoot them on both film and digital and it works very well in that role. You know, you can use it on two different systems. They're very sharp. Uh, wide open, they have pretty heavy uh, chromatic aberration but it's you know it's, it's really easy to fix in post it's not really a big deal um i like the yeah. look of those lenses too you know the the their so-called vintage line of- yeah yeah they're cool looking lenses and they you know they've got that little stick um knob. focus and knob which when you look at it it sort of looks a bit weird and you think oh i don't know if i'm gonna like that and then you try it and it actually works pretty well uh I've, got very comfortable using them um yeah and uh you know in terms of bang for buck they they you know 90 percent of a Leica lens for a fraction of the price so, so so speaking of speaking of systems um you know you are the one who put into my mind that like i have to have a full set of lenses of every filter size. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's uh, fueled so much gas between the two of us. <laughs> which is ridiculous, right? Because, I mean, number one, as Johnny has pointed out many times, there's the series system, which totally yeah. fixed it. But number yeah. two, I-, I found joy recently in actually carrying around a set of lenses with different filter sizes, and I just put a yellow filter on all of them, and I don't have to change it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that works very well. You know, that that came from actually that's probably a hangover from my Pentax system because everything on my Pentax system is forty nine millimeters uh, filter thread, and I got just so used to and comfortable with having just one set of filters and one set of lenses, and it all just worked, and I didn't have to think, oh, you know, I need an adapter or I need you know, a 49 and a 52 or something like that. Um, and then I got into the rangefinder stuff and, uh, yeah, I mean, eventually I got there with 39mm filters, I think. Uh, um, that's probably the closest you can come to a range of lenses that all use that same filter size if that's the way you want to shoot. But I, I like you, Perry, I, I sort of, I only recently sort of discovered the series filters and I listened to the show where you guys are talking about and that obviously solves a huge amount of problems. Uh, I've got a series six set that's been sitting in the post office for months because of our invisible enemy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but that really does solve a lot of problems, uh, especially with these quirky range find lenses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like a total idiot having like the same filters in so many different sizes when <laughs> series would suffice. Like Johnny, you should have said this earlier. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm just as bad. I have, I mean, I've, I've got like stuff in forty point five and thirty nine and forty three. I mean, I've got the same thing. It's just for the, I, for a lot of it, I just end up using the series stuff because it's easier to carry around. Yeah, but I have do an awful you, lot of dedicated <laughs> filters too. Do yeah. you use the hood to hold them? Do do I? Yeah, or just the retaining ring? No, I use a hood on everything, pretty much. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. but but okay. but I mean, oh, yeah. you can't you can use just the retaining ring, like on the like on the um, the Canon thirty five f two. I've yet to find any hood that doesn't vignette a little bit, so I just use the retaining ring. It doesn't. I I I don't think that lens actually needs a hood. It's so like recessed in the body anyway. Well, yeah. you have a forty millimeter adapter for that? Uh yes. Oh man. Yeah. I bought a I, set of forty millimeter filters. Can you believe oh, that? Oh ouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that well that's why because the forty millimeter filters are impossible to find and they're expensive. Yeah, so they really are. Yeah. That's actually the thing that that fully got me on the series filters line was you know Oh the cannons? Yeah, because it was yeah. so hard to find that, you know. I yeah, had a, 40 mils. Yeah. Off, yeah, exactly. And it, 40 mils just really yeah. inconvenient. So there's a there's a shop here that Perry is very familiar with, uh, run by a guy called David Chan. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he's got probably the, the widest range of filters I've ever seen in my life. And now whenever they see me coming, his wife sort of scurries to the back of the shop with a, a box that she's just got a boatload of filters in there and she's like, Oh, it comes Epstein. What's he looking for today? <laughs> it's, oh, so so they'll still sell you the filters? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've got uh, so many unusual filter sizes that I just haven't been able to find anywhere else, and they they just seem to have it. Well, just there. just my experience with David Chan recently is that he he no longer sells stuff. Um, he like he said he said <laughs> yeah. straight up to me, no, I'm 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 in full on collector mode now because I'm retired. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're not allowed to buy anything in my shop. 
And every time yeah. I go to it, it's all this amazing stuff, right? Every time I go, he he just he's like, "So Perry, you're gonna sell me your alpha?" I was like, "No, I'm not gonna sell you my alpha. I'll trade you my alpha for some of this other stuff that you have that I want." He's like, "No, yeah. I'm not selling it to you." And so yeah. we just stand there, not selling stuff to each other, and then I leave. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's got a very cunning way of scaring people off by putting mm. exorbitant prices on everything that no one would ever pay. Uh, and if they are dumb enough to pay it well, then good luck to them. That but, uh, dude is fascinating, though, because he will sit there and just talk your ear off for ages. Oh uh, yeah, and he's always he's always so fascinated by whatever camera you have in your bag on the day. And well, he. Uh, you- I think one of the most interesting things that he he kind of lectured me about was why for him the most interesting period in like um, not just camera because he collects other stuff too, but in like industrial history for him is the 1950s. Yeah, and he just loves anything made in the 1950s, and he will like buy it if he doesn't have it. Yeah, because I mean for him the 1950s were the era where things were made to last a lifetime, um, yeah. and they were made with like care. Uh, to make like the best product first and foremost without the same kind of commercial pressures that started to come both earlier and later. And so for him, like that's kind of the sweet spot, right? Like the 1950s where pre fifties, it can be a little, you know, you know, there's, there's a lot of shitty stuff. Um, And then post 1950s, there's a lot of, you know, overly commercial stuff that isn't necessarily built to last in the same way. And I, I think, you know, in in my experience, I don't know if this if, if you guys agree with this, Johnny and Simon, but I think I think that's more or less right. Yeah, that, like the worksmanship of the fifties really seems to yeah. kind of transcend a lot of other eras. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think that was also a little bit of a hangover from the Second World War. They had all this totally engineering know how, and they had to do something with it because they didn't need it to build war machines anymore. So it all went into industry. Uh, and, you know, these guys really knew their stuff because they had to. And, uh, yeah, so you just got a boatload of well-engineered things coming out of the 50s. Um, all right. Uh, the, the the one other thing I want to bring up here is um, you have a full system of Hasselblad lenses, which Simon will be quite familiar with. But you yeah. have not been shooting them on your Hasselblad. You've been shooting them on a Pentax 645. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Why? Yeah, uh, because and how? I, um, uh, okay, so the how is easy. There's a kip on Pentax um, or Hasselblad V2 Pentax 645 adapter, uh, and it works very well and it hits infinity exactly at infinity. Um, uh, so that that part's easy. Uh, the why, uh, just because I don't like the Hasselblad bodies. I mean, they're they're beautiful uh, cameras to hold and to play with, and you look at the engineering and all of that, and it's, they are lovely. But in the field, I find them just a complete pain in the ass, to be honest. And uh, the Pentax six four five is just such an intuitive camera to shoot, and it works perfectly uh, with stop down metering with those Hasselblad lenses. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, uh, I'm quite happy to shoot them that way. Simon, do you agree? Well, I've got, I've got. It's, it's. I've, I have no experience of shooting with that Pentax camera, so it's, uh, it's difficult for me to to comment that way. But, um, but in the same way as I, I 
don't think I don't feel that shooting with a Hasselblad is is a in any way difficult thing to do. So I'm I'm I must admit I'm I'm struggling to work out where where you're coming from with 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 that one, Mike. What is it about the Hasselblad that's um, that's given you uh, given you beef? Yeah, you know, it's, it's just it's for what it is. It's a slow system, you know. My foray into medium format actually started with a Mamiya C330, which uh, I found, for whatever reason, pretty easy and intuitive to shoot. Uh, you know, I didn't have to remember to pull out a dark slide and uh, loading. It was really, it's a really easy medium format camera to load. Uh, at least I found it that way. Um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, I just never got on with the with the Hasselblad bodies. Um, I had a lot of problems with the the backs when I first got it. They they all needed servicing, and uh, you, you know, um, yeah, I just didn't uh, I just didn't enjoy the experience for whatever reason. I love the lenses. The lenses are superb, um, but I, I just didn't enjoy the body whatsoever. Yeah. I mean that's that's something that, that that Johnny was saying. Not sure if it was last week or the week before. That you know, when it when it when it comes to thirty five, well, when it comes to medium format, there are so many different ways of uh, of how the camera manufacturers have chosen to configure their cameras. Um, yeah. Whereas you know with a thirty five millimeter camera, you you it's largely not entirely, but it's largely. Uh, rangefinder, SLR, or a compact of some description, and and each of those genres largely work in a similar kind of way. Although there, there yeah, are obviously yeah, some, some outliers yeah. in there, um, but but this is again it's more or less quoting Johnny. Uh, that that's what's one of the, the the joys of medium format is that you can find a system that that works for you, and just because it works for you doesn't mean it it works for everybody else. Uh, right. and, yeah. and certainly Hasselblad, I'm. I, I really like using the Hasselblad, but as we spoke over the last two weeks, I seem to have fallen for 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 Roly or fallen back in love for 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 Roly, and to the point where you know the other week when I went out with the my Roly cord, I I could, uh, and I was going to take my Hasselblad, but having sp been on the show and listening to to Perry and Johnny talking about Rollies, that was the reason why I went out with it, and I'm really glad I did because I'm I'm pretty sure that. I had a better time because I took that role than I would have done if I'd gone out with uh, with 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 the Hasselblad because I think one of the reasons was I was restricted to one lens. Um, so yeah, yeah. Whereas I would have had to have taken two lenses with me, and if I took if I took the eighty mil with me, I'd, chances are I'd want to take the fifty because my fifty is actually yeah. my my favourite lens with the Hasselblad. Yes, it's a um, fantastic lens. Yeah. It, and and then the next thing I'm thinking, well, do I, do I take my compendium hoods as well? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden, you you know, we've gone from what is a relatively small camera to something that's enormous and taking up a huge amount of space. So uh, so yeah, I was glad I took the Rolly. Yeah, <laughs> that's totally true. I, I don't have a Rolly Flex. So as I say, I've got a Mamiya C330, which I really enjoy shooting that camera. Uh, and then I've got a Yashica D, which uh, is a, a, a poor man's Rolleiflex, I guess, um, yeah. uh, or more like a Rolly cord, actually, you know, because you still have to cock the shutter and advance the film separately. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, if you are not sure that you want to get into TLRs but you want to experience them, a Yashica D is probably the perfect place to start. It's not 
yeah they're not crazy expensive and uh the the lens is very reliable um and uh you know if you really love it that much then at some point you'll almost certainly end up on a rolly flex i mean i have to admit listening to you guys talking about has had me looking at rolly flexes as well <laughs> i forecast a, a global shortage of rolly flexes as a classic lens of the podcast fuels our desires <laughs> so we've, we've had a fair bit of feedback um in, uh, about about the last two two shows and, and rolly flexes including the people that are not really interested in the subject that the, the sort of they started to look at them on ebay and stuff like that just just because of the enthusiasm that we we, we had last week so uh, yeah good fun yeah uh, i uh, i think johnny probably has already commented on this or maybe could comment on this but i think you know if you go in that direction a rolly cord is probably most of the way there already anyway um other than just yeah. the, ha- the handling on the uh rolly cord is obviously it's a two-step process rather than yeah, uh, you know the, the easy I, just advancing and cock at the same time with a, yeah, a rolly right. flex. I, although I honestly, I uh, honestly the the camera that you just mentioned the the Yashica D. Yeah, to me like a Yashica D or a a six uh, um, a six three five, which is a, essentially a Yashica D, but was marketed with. A six uh, a thirty five millimeter adapter with it, but you yeah. don't have to use it. It's essentially the same camera. Those are those are really really well built Yashica TLRs. And honestly, if I was gonna recommend somebody who just wanted to try a TLR, that would the Yashica would be my recommendation, and not the Roly because they're just more expensive. And the Yashicas, they're they're re- those are really good cameras. They um, really are. Yeah. 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 So I mean, to me, I would probably actually say get like a Yashica D or a six three five, um, and you know, see see how you like it. Because I mean, that's really most of you're most of the way to a roll a cord yeah. at that point. It's just the it's like when you decide you really love twin lens. Ultimately, you're probably you know a, a roll of flex is to me the way to go but yeah the, yeah, the yeah. are they're really really nice cameras wait I mean, so, so the the yashika i see the most is the one two four yeah that's uh, that's the... the difference between the d uh and that uh the 124 is a um it's basically it's a crank mounted auto you know, you don't have to cock the shutter separately, so it's all in one action. So it's, it it behaves a lot more like a roll of flex. Um, they're just they're they're nice. Actually, the lenses are really good. They make great images. They're just they're not nearly as kind of robust build wise, okay. um, but they're really nice cameras. I mean, I um, especially the older ones. Uh, the one that everybody likes is the 124G because it's got the meter. But I mean, it, to me, it's the least well built of all the, right. of all of yeah. all of them. So yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, you're better to get like a a 124 non-G or if you can find a um, what is it, the Yashica? No, the Novak will correct me, but I mean, it's I think it's just the uh, Yashica. Not not the 12, but there's another couple of models they made that were like similar to the 124 um yeah that are you know the same kind of idea but they're just older and i i they feel more solid in the hand let's put it that way 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I think the lens on the Yashika D and the 124 is um, the later Yashika D has the Yashinon yeah. uh, 75 3.5, and I think it might be the exact same lens yeah. on the 124. It sounds uh, right. it, it, it's a really nice lens, you know. It, it, it gives great results. Uh, uh, my experience being the same, you know, the 124Gs are normally just a heap of rubbish. There's so many problems with them. Um, I mean, when they're working well, they're nice, but... Uh, yeah, right, and, exactly. And the, just, the meter is at the point of this. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's come, To me, it's just kind of a gimmick. It's just, to me, it's so much easier to meter off the camera with a TLR. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Hey, but, I, I saw I saw a claim the other day while we're talking about Roloflex and Hasselblads. Um, I saw a claim the other day, which which uh, I don't know the truth of, but you guys will have more experience. Um, I saw some people arguing over the lenses and people swearing that the Roloflex two point eight uh, planar and Zenitars are better than the Hasselblad lenses. Uh, yeah, who knows. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe I, I mean, maybe only because there's a mirror box to work around. Uh, that, yeah, you know what I mean. Like you, they they would have had to alter the, the design, distance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and probably the. I imagine that there's. I imagine there's probably some minor differences because of that. But I, I don't, yeah. I don't know that anybody would have uh, would be able to tell a. An eighty-two-eight planar from a Hasselblad from a roll of I don't I really don't know that to me that would seem like a stretch. I, I mean, that yeah. was the thing that blew my mind with the two point eight though because I mean with my previous experience with TLRs was um, that I don't I'd always thought of the lenses as being more of the generation of lenses you find on folding cameras uh, as opposed to the kind of class of lenses you'd find on like a Hasselblad. And so when I when I saw stuff from the two point eight Zenitar and Planar, I was like, "Holy crap! This is like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like folding lenses, they have a kind of look to them, right? Mm. Where it can be nice, but they're like, they have a they have a rusticness about them. They're not they're not as refined. Mm. Uh, whereas like the two point eight Roloflexes, they do, and I guess you know the the three point five Zenitars and Planars, they've got that like interchangeable lens sharpness and pop and just. Um, refinement you know which I, I think is really exciting to have on a camera that is as simon was saying not as you know way more compact than carrying a, a bloody hasselblad around yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean it, i you know it's funny because my introduction to hasselblad was when i was um uh interning with a uh commercial photographer in in college and i i mean I, to me, the Hasselblads are basically their studio cameras. You know, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, he essentially never shot it except on, on a tripod. Very rare, rarely off of a tripod. Yeah. So to me, they're like, as walk around cameras, they're, they're not. Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not bad. I, I it, but I guess where I'm going with it is, is like medium format stuff. It's so. I think that cameras that people like it's so it, it's so much different than like thirty five millimeter SLRs or even rangefinders because it's just what you like personally. Like for me, the I, I probably the top of my list for the least form follows function 
friendly camera is actually the Pentax 645 <laughs> because the, to me, it's like you're hanging so much, like it, they're so long and they're, I, I, there's just something about the design that I find really awkward, but I can see why people love them. I mean, they're really good cameras. And the finders and, and, are nice. Yeah, the finders are nice. And in the same way, like Hasselblad seem to be like some people find them, you know, a bit overly complex and difficult. And some people are like, you know, it's the perfect camera for them. So I, I don't know. I, that's why I feel like medium format stuff is it's really peculiar, peculiar in terms of like all oh, the other one. The, I mean, I've never been a as a user, I've never been a huge fan of the Mamiya like the seeds, the, the Mamiya CTLRs, but some people love them for the interchangeable lenses and stuff, you know? Yeah. So it, it's so particular. And I, so it's really hard to like recommend. I feel like it's, it's really hard to recommend stuff like that to someone because it depends on what they're, they like to have in their hands. Kind of, you know what I mean? Well, I, it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also very kind of uh, specific to, how and what you shoot. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, if you're shooting on a tripod or in the studio, a Hasselblad is, is great. Um, but if, right. if you're not on a tripod all the time, uh, uh, it's really not the most efficient way to shoot medium formats, at least uh, for me. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. That, that makes so I'm going to give one quick follow-up on the TLR thing just so I can correct myself now rather than in all of our notes and conversations after the podcast. <laughs> Again. <laughs> so the, the, if, you want a good, uh, if you want a good Yashica TLR, that's a crank wine, okay? So not the D or the 635, which I think are the best of the classic knob-wound Yashicas. There's the Yashica Mat LM, which is the ugly duckling because it's got a light meter that usually doesn't work. But those are really, really nicely built Yashicas, and they can you can probably find them a lot cheaper than like the Yashica Mat 124. Yeah. And then there's the Yashica 12, which is basically a it's like a a Mat 124. So they marketed a a 12, which was for 120, and a and a Yashica 24, which was for 220. So if you can find a Yashica 12, those are also really nice. Oh, is that what the 124 stands for? It's like squishing those together. Yeah, like essentially. It, essentially, I believe that 124s will do. Will I think will do both? I I think. Um, oh, shout out to TLR designers for their like sweet naming. Their nomenclature is on point. Like, bay yeah. One bay two, bay three, one two four. I get it. <laughs> well, the Yashikas are really interesting that way too, nomenclature wise. So, but anyway, there, there's, there's a the the Yashikas. If you want a crank wound TLR, I'd say the LM, and then the Yashika 12, and then the the Mat 124, like the non G, are the, those are super nice cameras. Well, well just, I mean, the, sorry, go on. I, I just just very quickly on that point uh, because I, I I immediately went to eBay. And uh, <laughs> and uh, the LM, well, you can actually have an LM that looks just like a rolly cord, and it's not crank wound, and it doesn't even have a meter on it. So there are there are variants within the LMs as well. Uh, the LM should be the light meter version. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at one that's. It says I've I've seen both kinds, and there's there's one here that's a. It says LM on on the front of the camera, 
Um, and there's, I can't see a light meter. The, the actual one, I can see one with a light meter, and the, and the design of that, certainly at the top of it, is very different from the, the one I'm looking at, which looks like a roller cord. I mean, I, I think the thing, the thing with the like high end rolly lenses on the two point eights and the um, you know the the later three point fives is like you know what Johnny was saying in terms of three point uh, medium format form factor. When I think of medium format cameras, it's like you've got one end of the spectrum, which is portability, and typically there you've got like your folders and you know your weird like box brownies and stuff like that, where you're compromising on the kind of quality of the lenses. I mean, I can't think of any folders other than like the APO Lanthar Bessa, um, where the lens is that legendary. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got like your big ass SLRs, right? Like the Hasselblads and stuff, where mm-hmm. you're not compromising on the lens quality, but then on portability and ease of use, you're sacrificing a lot. And then the, you know, the Roloflexes, they, and a lot of the TLRs, they just like sit in that sweet spot in the middle, you know, where their lenses are great. And the portability is is also, you know, on point. I know that Eric Kasloos is shouting at you right now. So there are, I'm sure, there are loads of uh, folders with, uh, with with great lenses. There's, there's one with, uh, there's a Helio really? lens on one of them. Yeah, I think that's yeah, on it's, a, not, on them. it's not of the same class, though. You know, the, the Mamiya um, 80mm 2.8 on the C330 is like this weird Helio derivative or like five element Tessar which is real nice. But I mean, when you look at like the Hasselblad planar lenses or like the lenses on my Bronica S2, obviously the Pentax 6.7 stuff, right? Like those big unwieldy lenses, I, I think they deliver a, a kind of like both a resolution and a, you know, just image quality that I haven't seen on a folder. But I but the Roloflex 2.8s totally deliver that. Yeah, you get Ultrons as well though, don't you? On the, you know, on, on some of the barn door, which are still folders. Yeah, there are some really high-end modern folders as well. You yeah. know, like, oh, yeah, you know, okay. Claw Bell Makina, which... Uh, okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's a, that's a, it's, it's a beast of a, of a camera. Uh, and uh, the Fuji GF70, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right, I'm full of shit. Yeah, those... But Perry, in your defense, I think a lot of a lot of older folders they like it's so easy for those to get out of alignment like between the the bellows and the folding mechanism and everything else so i mean it's you if they're not if they're not like dead on they they're it's hard to get them to focus accurately so i mean they can be they can be they can be troublesome cameras and that that may be part of what you're seeing and a lot of them have uh triatars which tend to work i think really well in medium format but you know, maybe you're seeing some funkiness from from yeah. that. I don't know. Well, I mean, I have a bunch of folders, and I, I can't think of any of them that deliver the kind of quality that I see from the SLRs, the um, Roloflexes, and stuff like my Bronica RF645. Uh, so, if any of them are out yeah. there, then send yeah. some <laughs> folder suggestions. You need better folding cameras. It's a, it's as simple as that. I'm staring at they're on my wall in front of me right now. There's a Mamiya 6 folder there, which got a really good lens, right? Agfa Solinar is a pretty good lens. Um, but like those things, I don't think they deliver the quality that that like you know the Pentax 6.7 does. Am I wrong? Are there folders out there that are that good? Uh 
than the ones Mike mentioned, the modern ones? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would say no. Yeah, that's yeah, personally, but I mean, there's yeah. a there's a there's a few there's Wait, a few spe- the- there's a few special ones out. I mean, there's the yeah. you know there's the Besses with the Heliars and stuff, but and there's the Fuji six four five little. That one's really good. That lens, the GS six four five. Right, yeah. and the super super Icontas. Surely there are some good lenses on those. The Tessars, man. Yeah. That, that, well, that's okay on medium format. <laughs> yeah, but they're but they're not they're not they're not plain are good. I have a super iconta. It's good, but it's not it doesn't deliver the same. So I, I think there's a different class. You know, there's a golf yeah. there. Yeah, I, I think you know, it's a lot of what Johnny was saying, just the uh, construction of those cameras, especially the old ones, they it, it's so easy to get them out of alignment. Uh, just yeah, because, they're uh, just they're they're old. Design. And not only that, uh, the focusing of them uh, is not as easy. You know, an SLR, you're looking through the lens, so, you know, the focusing is going to be way more reliable uh, than a rangefinder on a 1930s folder or something. Yeah, uh, it's, right. it's probably not going to be bad, but it's never going to be as accurate as looking through the lens, I don't think. Uh, you know, it's not the same kind of reliability as a rangefinder on a Leica M or, or a Nikon S or something like that that's pretty pretty much bang on uh, yeah but um, that's alright this will be great because we're going to get tons of photos from from, from, the, from the folder people who are telling us we're nuts which is, exactly which is a what good I mean. thing which is a good thing from, from, the, from the folder people who have very well functioning folders yeah. So, so don't post pictures from a GF645 or a GF670 well, or a Flabba Makina. I mean, you can post them if you want, but I, like, I'll acknowledge that those are outliers. Um, but, you know, I maintain that this sweeping generalization yeah. is true. I mean, Johnny, you, you yourself have said that, like, on your BESA 2, right, that, like, 6 by 9 um, those negatives, you do contact prints and not enlargements because it just it doesn't deliver the kind of negative that you want to enlarge, you know? Yeah, I mean that's me personally, but I feel like those six I, by nine, I feel like those six by nine folders are were intended for contact printing. Yes, that is my that is that is still my my uh, my supposition about those cameras. Yeah, that they were. It's kind of what they were. They were they were snap they were snapshot cameras that people bought to take family photos, and they and most of that stuff was contact printed. Not not you didn't. You know what I mean? You'd send a roll of film in, and you'd get a bunch of six by. You'd get a bunch of contact prints back, right? Basically, and, right. And as a result of that intentional lens design, uh, I mean, like I can see a massive difference in what the negatives and the the scans and prints look like from like, yeah, you know, my my Agfa Solinar here, and then you know something like a Texas Leica. Yeah, I I I personally agree with you. I think people, there will be plenty of people who will disagree with us okay. but i pers- personally i think that's what those cameras were built to do they were not i mean they were they were really sold i'm sure some people used them professionally back in the day no doubt about it but i mean the one the later ones that you get into the 50s and stuff i think they were they were very much marketed at a consumer market and they were they were really meant to be it'd be snapshot cameras you know yeah. So 
Anyway, um, I just wanted to say, I think, Simon, I found the Yashica Mat LM on eBay that you're talking about without the crank. Mm-hmm. It's because it's missing the crank. <laughs> so if anybody, if anybody sees the Yashica Mat LM without a crank, it's because it's missing. It's broken. <laughs> or or it's a, the Yashica Mat LM44s are knob knob wine cameras so the four the four fours are lm but they're knob wine because they're 127 film format yeah which i have and they're awesome but how about the lm that i saw that didn't have a light meter uh i i don't know which one that is you'll have to it's it's currently in australia by the way if that helps um light meter melted off oh i see the i see the one you're talking about it has no meter um, that is not a Yashica LM, or it's it's missing the meter. It might have been an LM. It was a, it was an LM. It was an LM before it lost its meter. Now it's just a nameplateless Yashica. It's an L. It's an it's an L. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's might have been an LM once, sometime okay. in the past. Right, well, seeing that we've we've ventured thoroughly back into uh, TLR corner again this week, um, I just want to mention. Um, actually, I'm going to do as a shout out to, uh, and that's uh, to Christine Dirksen, who um, bought uh, or rather persuaded me to make a um, a lens cap with my new flexible filament, so it would go over um, a, a lens with a bent uh, front. And uh, and that 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 worked well, um, but in through the conversation I, I was um, having with her, um, she mentioned that she has a Rolly Magic, and we didn't touch upon oh. Rolly Magic at all. And I and it just and well well exactly it just wasn't wasn't on my my radar at all. So oh I, no 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 so so so, so Johnny no uh, tell tell no. me a little bit about the Rolly Magic please no uh uh-uh. uh. No, we're not going to go there. We don't need to go there. Trust me. I'm Googling it. No, you don't want to go there. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Why? This is what it's wrong with this. It's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, it's got a meter, which obviously that means that Johnny doesn't like it. No, but, it has a meter that doesn't work, and then the yeah. entire camera doesn't work. Wait, oh, it's God. a six by six. What's wrong with this? It says Roly on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's made by Frank and Hyde. Hi, how do you pronounce that? Heidecky? <laughs> Heidek? <laughs> I'll let you guys learn about that on your own. The Rolly uh, Magic. How do you how, say magic in a German accent, Johnny? I I don't I don't I can't do that German accent. I don't know. Ma- Mike, Wait, what's, what's wrong with it? Yeah, Mike, have you, have you any experience with this camera? Uh, no, no. It's first time hearing of it. Uh, I encourage, I encourage all of you guys to go out and buy a Rolly Magic, and we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> well, they're, not, they're not cheap, though. That's the thing. I mean, I've looked at the price of these things. You can pick a Rolly cord up for less than you can a Rolly Magic. It seems. So there must be something going on there, unless unless it's just rarity. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I mean, I've just got uh, something here. That goes the a big difference with the with the Rolly Flex. Uh, or that's not the best well-written, not that I can even speak, uh, is the fact that the Rolly Magic uses front cell focusing instead of moving the whole lens board. So it's, okay. so it's going to be like a, effectively like a sort of helicoid or on some kind of... I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess the, the, the glass would move back and forth, right? I, I have a I have a homemade TLR that works like that, where just the glass moves back and forth and not the lens board. Hey, that means you'll never have the problem with the lens board not being parallel. That makes it better, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and which, will, which will be really handy on your non-working Rolly Magic. Does this have aperture priority? <laughs> oh my god! Yo, this thing has like shutter priority. Oh why? Automatic exposure is better than a Rolleiflex in every way. What? What the hell? Oh. Why did I buy? Why did I get a Rolleiflex? Is this is this why it's called magic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. So that's the the, the Rolleiflex magic, the ultimate you know, Rolly. Get one of these. Get this instead of a Rolleiflex. Okay. I know nothing. <laughs> okay. Let's 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 let's, let's 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 move away from TLRs and um, and then just find out a little bit more about uh, about Mike's favorite lenses, shall we, Perry? Sorry. Last last thing about TLR, Simon. Did you develop your rollerboard shots? <laughs> uh, not yet. Um, but my microphone has uh, arrived today, so um, that's uh, that's what I've been waiting for. To, to so I've been advised that microphone and my Forte Portrait Pan One Hundred um, go well together. So uh, I'm, I can now do it. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm also going yeah, to yeah. do my T Max in that as well for the same for the not necessarily at the same time, but uh, I'm going to use it for the T Max as well. No, nah, I'm super keen to see those because I, I shot a couple rolls um, this week with the roller cord, and oh man, I'm so happy with the shots I got. Like we got up at 5:30 a.m. to go shoot some uh, swimmers. Well, no, we just went to shoot in the neighborhood where the light was going to be, and there were these like morning swimmers swimming at 6 a.m. Um, and then we got like some portraits of people with birds. It was awesome. M- Mike, you were saying that those those morning swimmers are like actually a thing in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I saw those pictures and they, it reminded me of a uh, body of work from a, a local photographer here, Michelle Rice Chan. Uh, she she did a whole series on on the, um, you know uh, sort of the swimming culture in Hong Kong. I don't know if she shot it in all one location or if it was shot in... Yeah, yeah, they were all shot near where I used to live in Mao and Chan. Uh, yeah, I shot. and it's just, it's a phenomenal body of work. Uh, you know, it's uh, really, really well worth uh, looking at. Uh, she's actually, for most of the photographs, she's in the water with the swimmers. Um, and, yeah, she, she's just a fabulous talent as, as well worth checking out. I think her... Website is uh, little dot rice or something yeah, like that. Little dot rice. Yeah, and uh, the, the the if you look for crab seniors, that's that's the name of the body of work. It's, it's really good. Um, it, it's amazing, you know, because um, you, you told me a while back that you like going to shoot in Shamshui uh, Po at like six a.m. Uh, yeah. when, the, when the sun is rising, because that area, just for context, is like one of the most densely populated and chaotic parts of hong kong um but yeah i mean on, on these couple of occasions it's amazing how like the morning the early morning there's like a whole different world of you know there's not many people but the people who are out there doing like they're just doing real things yeah yeah absolutely stuff. i i think the very best time in hong kong to shoot street photography is early morning where you get people doing something other than looking at the front of their phone, you know, and uh, you got people out hiking and swimming and just doing real stuff. You get and, these pop-up like, crazy things that you just don't know exist, you know? Yeah. Um, like swimmers, you don't see these sea swimmers during the day. 
Uh, and there was like a whole crowd of them and you could tell they were regulars. And I've seen like, you know, pop up dim sum shops that only open from like 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is so cool. Yeah, it, it's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's the best time of day to shoot in Hong Kong. And obviously the light is pretty good that time of day as well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I, I, mean, I would imagine that, like, you know, it's not the case in Stoke, right? Because at 6 a.m. it's just sheep walking around. Um, <laughs> but but <laughs> do correct me if I'm wrong, but Johnny, it's Chicago like that. Do you guys have, like, a completely different, you know, like a whole new world but before – all the office workers wake up and go to work. Um, do you mean after they've done, they're done with the shootings overnight? <laughs> <laughs> so between the shootings and, and when people get up to go to work, you mean? Yeah. yeah when like crack of dawn to sunrise. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so the, yeah, we, we have the, we have the lake, the lakefront. So that entire, basically the, all of the lake, the, the, East end of the city is all uh, park land, essentially. So, um, so yeah, we kind of have that in that in that there's this big green space that people get out and do stuff in. I mean, they, that used to be before this craziness started, but because right. uh, that was closed for many months, they just reopened it, and it's probably going to close again because people are idiots and everybody's walking around without masks on. Um, but uh yeah, I mean we have we have that. We have just kind of that whole uh outdoor thing that people do, you know, in the morning or people commute by walking through the parks, that sort of thing. So it's yeah, it's kind of kind of kind of a a, a mini different morning culture. That's cool. That's yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've always found sort of the Chinatowns in the bigger cities in the US are so interesting to walk around at night. It's, yeah, oh, they, yeah. they, they seem to be busy. Uh, you, you, know, you wouldn't do that four... in Chicago, no. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm from I'm from Johannesburg, so I, yeah. I, I, I might be tempted. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know it's just a different world. And it's so yeah. interesting, and it's yeah, I, I love walking around those parts of town at night. Yeah. Chicago's Chinatown is. Uh, it's really sketchy. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of the only people that go there are the sailors that are on leave from Great Lakes training camp, training the the naval training base. Yeah, uh, that's where the sailors go is to Chinatown, and that's about it. Because yeah, Vancouver Chinatown is also super sketchy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So back on the lenses, uh, Mike, are there any other lenses in your um, pile that you want to highlight that we haven't talked about? Uh, you know, I, I have a couple that I think you've spoken about in the past, uh, so there's no, no point beating a dead horse, but, uh, you know, the, not really. Um, Let's talk about the Heliar. Uh, uh, Helio Classic, yeah, it, it's a good lens. It's uh, it's good for portraits. Uh, this is the Voigtlander fifty millimeter f two Heliar uh, yeah. that Mike and I both bought at the same time because we wanted a thirty nine millimeter filter thread without buying a Sumicron. Um, so this is a, a collapsible Heliar, uh, and I, I think it's not as good as the three point five, but it totally has because I think it's pushing the Heliar design. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you have like a bunch of 50 millimeter lenses, but I think this is one of the most interesting ones. Yeah, you know, it, and it, it serves a practical purpose for me, that lens, just because uh, when it's um, collapsed, uh, especially on the ZM, Zeiss Icon ZM, it's a very uh, compact setup, um, which suits me well, you know, I'm traveling for work and stuff like that. It fits in my bag very, very well. And it's a good lens, uh, you know, it makes the bokeh people happy if you shoot it relatively wide open and uh, you stop it down, it's plenty sharp enough. It's not Summicron sharp, but it's plenty sharp enough. Uh, it fits in well with the system if, you know, you want to stick to one filter size, 39mm filter thread. Uh, and it's got a bit of that sort of uniqueness to it because there's not that many of them around. Uh it's a pretty heavy lens. I mean, it's very yeah. small, but it's it's dense. It's um, there's gold nuggets inside that thing, or what it is. But <laughs> it's pretty heavy. Uh, the Zeiss Icon ZM is not a very heavy body, so when you extend that lens, it's actually pretty uh, front heavy on that body. Um, uh -huh. But uh, yeah, it's it's a nice lens. Uh, you know, um, I've shot it on the M240 as well, uh, and it works well on that camera too. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so, a, but, but you haven't shot any um, Heliar lenses on like large format or medium format, right? No. Nah, uh, well, uh, the one Heliar lens I think you and I have spoken about before is uh, uh, the 105 3.5, the original one. I think that is a Heliar design. Uh, I, I Wait, wasn't. For, for what system? The 105 millimeter f3.5 on the Mamiya C330. Oh, yeah, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, I think that's a Heliar design. Um, I, I actually didn't even know that until you told it, told me that a few weeks ago. But it, it's a very nice lens uh, for portraits. Uh, yeah, that's the only other lens that I'm aware of that's uh, a Heliar design that I've shot. Because my, my opinion on it is, the, uh, apart from the 3.5 Voigtlander 50, I don't think the Heliar lenses on 35mm have as much of the Heliar look. Uh, as they do on a larger format. I mean, you can see a yeah. little bit of it. You can see also a little bit of the, you know, like the slight, ever so slight corner swirl in the Heliar lens. Yeah. But that yeah. Kind of magical pop, I think, really comes out on large format. So yeah. what I'm saying is after we're done the show, you should go buy a large format Heliar lens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've looked at them, but they're, they're not cheap lenses, man. They are super expensive, at least the ones I've seen. Uh, I don't know if there's some uh, more affordable sleepers out there, but the Helios uh, for large format that I've seen are, are pricey. Yeah, there, there there is a a relatively affordable one. Um, I forget what the focal length is. I think it might be a 150, um, and it's a 4.5. Um, and it's I think it's like a press lens. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, which I don't. If it, if it is that kind of formulation, that shouldn't be too much of an issue anyway, because you're not going to be using movements. Because I, I'm guessing it doesn't have much in the way of uh, ability to use tilt and shift. Uh, but if you're if you're shooting portraiture, unless you want to do something funky, then you know, shooting straight on without uh, lens movements is going to be fine. And uh, yeah. certainly. Four four point five at one hundred and fifty mil. That's that's going oh, to give yeah. you easily. Plenty shallow. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, just the ones that you know. 
uh, Perry's been working hard on gassing me up about these Helio lenses, and uh, so I looked at a few uh, large format ones, and uh, they're just uh, really sky high prices. So I walked away, but uh, yeah, yeah, they do have an interesting look for sure. Simon, do you have one? No, no, no. I've, I mean, I've, I have a a watch, a watch uh, going on for for such lenses, uh, but. And there's there's one in, there's one for sale or has been for for sale in the in in the states for some time, and it's uh, about I don't know off the top of my head it's about two hundred and twenty dollars, uh, which isn't too bad, bad. For, for for what it is. But uh, um, nobody's biting, um, so I don't know. It's uh, it, I don't I don't know the reason reason for that. But if it was over here and and, and less, then chances are I would have had had no ability to res to resist it. Um, I, I just want to ask Mike, uh, um, I think we should start to start to wind things down a little bit, but there's a there's a question that um, I know gets asked on other podcasts, namely the ones that are, are really perhaps more specific to to using film and and that's about travel with film. And you seem to be uniquely qualified. Uh, to talk on that as a subject because there's lots of talk about um, x-ray machines uh, yeah. and in the past there's ju just generally a view that well all modern film is pretty much okay as long as it's not too fast and then things have changed in the last 12 months or so where there's some evil uh, machines out there that will, uh, will damage your film no matter what it is um, and I'm just wondering if you can shed any light on that subject. Yeah, uh, so, you know, for a long time it wasn't an issue. There's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, talk going around the internet about don't put your film through the x-ray machine. I, I did a trip to the Middle East last year. I was traveling for a month, uh, and I, I, I put my 14 rolls of film that I carried for the month through just about every dodgy-looking x-ray machine imaginable. I, I was sort of thinking, well, I think it's going to be fine, but I'm not sure. But I, I brought the rolls home and, yeah, they were absolutely fine. Uh, you know, a lot of places, uh, if you ask them to hand-check your film, it's not an issue anyway, they'll do it. Um, but, you know, I wasn't going to push a guy with an AK-47 too hard to hand-check my film. He didn't look, you know, most of them didn't look like they were in the mood for the negotiations, um, <laughs> especially not in that part of the world. Uh, but yeah, um, these new uh, x-ray machines, I've only put my film through one of them and uh, it was only one scan and it was fine, um, but it was uh, 100 ISO film or 125, it was uh, Ilford FP4, uh, but uh, yeah, I've been reliably informed that the dose of radiation that goes through them is much, much higher, so you know, it is probably best if you can get it hand-checked to do so now. Because I know across the U.S. they are starting to install these new machines, uh, which has sort of been only in the last 12 months that's been an issue. Um, yeah, I, I did actually have a, a set of film x-rayed by one of them, and it was it was absolutely fine. Uh, it wasn't wasn't a problem at all. Would you would you know if these are just in use for hand luggage or whether they're also being used behind the scenes? Because I'm just wondering if it's just safer to put it in with your uh, your checked in luggage or not. No, uh, I would definitely not put uh, any film in checked in luggage because the dose of radiation that goes through your checked luggage is way way higher, and 
Uh, I, I actually tested roller film just to see what would happen, and it absolutely fogged it. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, you definitely don't want to put any film in your checked luggage. Um, and ninety-nine percent of airports around the world, if you ask, um, you know, security staff, they'll happily hand check it. I, I, I can't tell you, especially going through Hong Kong, the amount of times. Uh, I've uh, asked for a hand check and ended up in a conversation with the security guy about which film cameras he shoots and how mm. he's still shooting film as well. And uh, you know, most of the places are pretty good. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you are going to go to the airport, you know, it's, it's always handy if you just have your film in a see-through Ziploc bag. They can see what it is. They can open it up. Um, if if it's a really busy airport, go a little bit early because uh, a lot of them, my experience in the US is they'll always accommodate you, but sometimes they'll tell you you've got to wait 10 minutes until, uh, you know, they, they have the time to actually do it because some of the airports get crazy busy and, you know, um, they, they have a limited amount of security staff to do that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not a problem normally. Are there any uh, identifying labels on these new X-ray machines? Not that I've seen. I've only seen one of them. Um, uh, I haven't seen any in the US yet, although I know they are being installed. Uh, the, the one I saw was actually in Adelaide in Australia. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, it, it wasn't a problem there. Uh, you know, I, I, I put it through the machine just because I wanted to see what would happen, and it was fine. Um, but yeah, there definitely are much higher dose radiation, and you know, uh, a lot of people buy these lead bags. Um, you see them for sale online and stuff. I don't recommend that you use those. Red <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, to a bull. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, they. Uh, what happens with even the older security uh, scanners? is when the guy behind the screen can't see what's in the bag, he just cranks up the, you know, the, the gain on the machine until he can see through it. And even the old ones have enough power to see through those uh, lead bags. So y your film is still going to get dosed with the radiation anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, and the result is he's just cranked up the machine a whole lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just... It, 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 Give your film to the security guy in a clear Ziploc bag uh, to let me want a hand check. And my experience so far has been they'll almost always help you. Uh, you know, I've traveled all throughout Southeast Asia, uh, India, Sri Lanka, the Middle East, uh, and nine times out of ten I've not had any trouble with, with, with uh, asking for a hand check. Yeah. I've heard that there was a story last year about a, a photographer uh, going through Heathrow in the UK and uh, they just plainly refused uh, to, yeah, to, to yeah. hand-check her, her photos and yeah. they did get fogged uh, with the with the new equipment, so it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 well, I know Heathrow does have the new machines and uh, uh, Heathrow <laughs> security staff are not renowned for being the most cooperative, unfortunately. They are jackasses <laughs> in the UK and I think yeah. they are deliberately told with this whole hostile environment stuff to be jackasses as part of their mandate um, because yeah I've had nothing but like horrifying experiences with the people working security at UK airports uh, every, yeah. everywhere, yeah. everywhere else 
it's been exactly the same as you described. They're totally happy to accommodate. Worst yeah. case, you wait a little, but I mean, Heathrow and Manchester Airport, oh, they, those guys can go to hell. <laughs> yeah, they're really hard, man. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. on on that note, uh, we'll uh, we'll um, start to, to to wind things down. Uh, Mike, it's been absolutely great having you on the show. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's been good fun. Absolutely, and uh, and we'll we, I'm going to come back to you shortly, and uh, we can talk about um, shout outs and uh, yeah, sure, and where yeah. people can find you and stuff. But I just want to say. Uh, thank you uh, to the three people that helped us out last week um, that donated to us um, first one on the list uh, chronologically uh, was Juan Juan I think it's Juan um, and uh, and he says uh, I like this podcast so much I'm seriously con- considering getting a green matic Johnny <laughs> <laughs> Um, and hopefully it works for a while. Uh, so uh, go for, go for that. Uh, Lawrence Dunn has uh, donated to us again. Thank you very much, Lawrence. And Nigel Cliff um, says that I'm not a TLR fan, uh, but I found the last show very interesting. Um, yeah, and that, that's that goes for a, a, a lot of people. That was a that was a fun conversation. I think of things that I didn't really know half as much about that subject until uh we'd had that conversation that was uh that, that was good so really enjoyed that so uh so thank you uh juan uh lawrence and nigel um and nigel cliff is uh he's on a staycation right now isn't he yeah he's also been quoting shakespeare to dogs as well apparently <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know where you go with that one. Um, right, um, Perry. Renaissance. Yeah. Have yeah. you got, have you got any uh, any shout outs this week? Uh, no, I do not have any. Oh no, I do have a shout out. Yeah, I have a shout out to Jimmy Co. Um, yeah, Jimmy, who, who is a uh, master Rolleiflex repair service dude in the U.S. Um, and he was selling a beautiful 2.8 C uh, Zenitar, which I wanted. Um, but some jackass named Rob Jameson bought that one. Uh, so I ended up in a long conversation with Jimmy uh, about a different Rolleiflex on his site, which I ended up buying uh, a 2.8 E2, um, which, you know, just after my experience last week, the fact that he serviced it just gives me a bit of peace of mind. Uh, and, I, and I know that it's good. And it was a great conversation with him because, you know, he seems like a really nice guy. Uh, he asked about how Johnny and Central Camera were doing after the fire. Um, and he, uh, he chucked in an extra screen for me, uh, for free, just so I could compare the two and, and see which one I like better. So, uh, shout outs to Jimmy Co for being awesome. That's I think awesome. there's, I think there's a, a, there's a case for recording instead of recording this show and putting it out on the same days we, we make it uh, just put like a seven day delay in. So, you know, people like Rob Jameson can't, can't just like sneak in and, um, and buy things from underneath you. I bought it before we did the shows, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's the crazy part. Yeah, that's the crazy part. Is is Rob and Perry were both independently gassing for Rolleiflexes at the same moment, <laughs> at exactly yeah. the same moment. So, and yeah. this was before, not even before the last episode. It was before the episode prior to that. Right, right. Before exactly. the initial discussion. Yeah, he, and then yeah. Rob had his had a Rolleiflex in the mail as we were recording that podcast. Yeah, and, and then I asked Johnny about that specific Rolleiflex that Jimmy Co had because that was the first time I heard of Jimmy Co. And then Johnny was just like, "Oh yeah, that's that's the one that Rob Jameson bought." <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> right, um, uh, Johnny, have you got any shout outs? 
Um, I, I do have a couple actually. Um, one of which we did not really cover today, but we will, I'm sure we will talk about it on a future, uh, episode, but I, I, I want to give a shout out to, to, uh, it's Ivo, right? Yeah. Ivo. Mike, Mike, Michaelson. Michaelson. Yeah. Who is the previous guest on the show in front of the podcast who, um, speaking of Rob Jameson and gas, uh, as we were sitting on my front porch, a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was telling Rob that I had seen a uh, a Zeiss uh, Icarex mount lens, a Scoperex, which is a 35 3.4, which Ivo had mentioned in a conversation on uh, the Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group some time ago. Um, so a lens that had been on you know, my radar and on uh, Robbie's ra- r- radar because he's been enjoying the uh, Ultron lens, the 51.8. So I was like, dude, I just saw a Scoprex on eBay for $120. So we sat there and decided together we would offer $100 on this lens and see if they took the offer, which they did. So we we sort of jointly gassed our way into a, uh, a Scoprex, a 35 uh, 3.4. So we will talk about that in a future episode, but shout outs to Ivo for making sure that seed of, uh, of, of knowledge was planted in our brains. Gas so, knowledge. So have you come to an arrangement about, you know, do you get it at the weekends? Or? Well, it's joint custody. You know, we have to work on that, but uh, I don't anticipate any, any difficulties with that arrangement. Um, so my other shout out real quick is, uh, to oh i have it in my notes hold on a second uh it's tim tim at filterfind.net so um tim we had, i had, i had mentioned uh this website uh filterfind.net on a couple of episodes and why can't i find this email in my notes um but anyway tim and tim had sent me a nice email and said hey um he said a couple of customers recently mentioned your referral and I wanted to reach out and thank you. So we got a thank you from Tim Rice at filterfind.net for um, mentioning. But I wanted to, sh- to thank our listeners for throwing him some uh, some business. He's a great guy. He's, he's got – we were talking about filters earlier. He's got a crazy assortment of odd size stuff and series filters, et cetera, et cetera, and good prices. So he, he was much appreciative of um, – the, the business that came his way from uh, the podcast. So that was kind of cool. Uh, so shout out to Tim at FilterFind. Um, and I think that's all of my shout outs for the moment. Okay. Um, Mike, have you got any shout outs? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, just to uh, one of my best mates who's been building the website uh, that I referred you guys to earlier, framefocusphoto.com, which is the same place that you can follow us, my my best mate Len Edwards. He's uh, courtesy of our invisible enemy, not flying airplanes at the moment. So we're both spending time building a website because we've got nothing else to do. Uh, so yeah, shout outs to Len and uh, yeah, just in general, everybody in this pandemic situation that you know been so heavily affected by it you know it's it's something that is going to pass and just keep your chin up and uh yeah, yeah. just uh anybody who's suffering through this 
uh, thoughts with you guys. Yeah. yeah. And um, so if people want to, you've already mentioned it, but let's, we, we can always mention it again. Um, so what are the places where people can see what you get up to? Yeah, uh, well, most recently, as I said, on the website, framefocusedphoto.com, and it's photo with an F, uh, and uh, we've got an Instagram handle by the same name uh, at framefocusphoto.com and uh, the same name on Facebook, and you can email us at framefocusphoto.com at gmail.com, sorry, yeah. That's cool. That's great. Um, Perry? How can people keep up with you outside of this show? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Flickr at Perry G. Okay. And Johnny, how about you? You can find me on my front porch. <laughs> Maybe. Shotgun. Yeah. Get off my lawn. <laughs> and if anybody wants to get in touch with the show, which, by the way, we do have emails. We know we've got emails. Sorry, we haven't had the chance to get around to emails this week. And yeah, and, next time. And um, but that is do send them in. So yep. yeah, how can we do that? What's the best That's way? Classic Lenses Podcast at gmail dot com, and of course, go to Classic Lenses Podcast dot com for the episode, the show notes, and the swag. Go buy a t shirt. Go buy a Bokake cap, uh, and some other good stuff. Uh, and also, be sure to watch the podcast on YouTube. Well, read it. If, read if you, it. Yeah. Read and look at a screen. Yes. Yeah. Or, you, yeah. yeah. And how about Instagram? What's uh, what's our connection with Instagram? Uh, our Instagram partner is Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. So check that out. Yes. Yes. And on the subject of writing in to us, next week's show. Uh, if all goes well, is going to be with Lyndon Booth of Londinium Cameras. And um, many long-term listeners would have remembered that Lyndon's been with us before, and Lyndon is a camera and lens repairer. Um, the name of the show, I can't remember the, the number of it, but uh, the name of the show, well, last time it was When Fungus Attacks. Um, and uh, so that was, uh, that was a, a fun show. And we're going to have him back again. And I want to invite people to send in any questions that they may have about repairing lenses, cameras, and the like. We'll be talking about other things as well. But if anybody has any specific questions about, uh, or general questions about uh, repairs of lenses and cameras, please send it into us uh, at the show. I mean, you can always just drop it into the Facebook group, but I think it's prefer you to send them in and then uh, we get Lyndon can get it answered uh, as opposed to if you put it into Facebook then he'll probably get answered by the chance that Lyndon has the chance to answer it if you know what I mean so uh, so please if you do have any questions please send them in uh, so that's for next week and uh, contacts for me I'm on Twitter is Simon4 I'm on Instagram is Simon Forster Photographic. I have a website called SimonForsterPhotographic.co.uk where I'm selling my uh, my lens caps, and I still haven't put up my flexible lens caps and some of the other things I've been promising to do, but I will do at some point. Um, and uh, that's just about it. Oh, you can also hear me every couple of weeks or so on the large format photography podcast with Andrew Bartram as well. Um, so that's it. So. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show, and if you can, be like Carl. <laughs> <laughs>